Nuance. Um, Mike Scala joined as always by Jay Carter, the chair of BLM Tokyo and the hip hop MC Timid. What's going on, Jay? Round two. Yeah, we tried to go a second to go in. I guess it didn't take. Sometimes, you know, you gotta try a couple of times in life. Okay. Gotta try again. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's 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 good, you know. Like I said, um, it's morning here, so just uh, getting up and uh, getting ready for this uh, nice discussion. Very nice. It's always like a look into the future. And now it's like deja vu because we just said this before, but uh, yeah, yeah. every time we talk, it's like looking into tomorrow because it's Wednesday in Japan and it's Tuesday here in the U.S. Right. And it's it's funny. It comes up often when I um, when I send people happy birthday messages. They're like, oh, thank you. But it's tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, it's tomorrow here, though. <laughs> so that means you're already older than you think you are. Yeah. Yeah, I've already seen your birthday. It's already passed. It's you know wasn't really too special to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, calm down, calm down. Don't get too excited. Wow. But yeah, so it looks like it's gonna be a good a good weather morning. Um, you know, we've had some good weather recently. Um, uh, particularly noticeable since uh, last week, we were in the middle of a typhoon. You know, there was a tornado warning in Rockaway last night, and the weather got really bad here, actually, and Howard Beach even. Does New York have tornadoes? Yes, not really. It's not known for being a tornado epicenter, but we do get them. I guess epicenter would be more of an earthquake. And I'm, I'm mixing my terminology here, but you know what I mean. Right, right. Wow. It's not yeah. the area that we think of as being the quote-unquote or proverbial epicenter of tornado activity in, in the world or in the US. Right. You know, but yeah, you do get some wild stuff. I mean, obviously even hurricanes, right? We're not known for hurricanes, but we do get them. Look at Hurricane Sandy, et cetera. Right. And it's similar with um with earthquakes too. Um, at least I didn't notice any when I was living there. And it was kind of it was kind of strange because when uh, I was there, I went with Mikey D. I took Mikey D with me to do um, a short tour in Japan. And so we did performances in, in Tokyo, Osaka. We did some photo shoots and radio appearances and stuff. And this was in 2011. This was like five or six months after the massive tsunami and hurricane and um, earthquake and all that stuff that Japan had. And so he was concerned about earthquakes. And it was like, because they would still had aftershocks for months. And so, you know, we went out there and we had a great time. And there were, you know, he didn't feel any earthquakes out there. Um, and we got to New York, got back to New York. And within that week was when that, when New York had that earthquake. Right. There you it go. Like, it's like, oh my God. Yeah. You got it when you got back home. Yeah. That's how it goes sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, New York. It doesn't have a lot of earthquakes and extreme weather events, but we do get stuff, right? It's, you know, it happens. Japan has an earthquake season, <laughs> so to speak. Wow. Yeah, because it's on the ring of fire. So, yeah, they get them often. But at least not where I'm at. They're, they're very rare where I'm at. Well, it's all just like hellfire and brimstones type talk. Why don't we go a little bit more pleasant? and speak about the Queens County Young Democrats fundraiser 
that I attended there, Summer Bash. And it was actually nice because it was outdoors in a kind of post-COVID world. And we were able to do this again. You know, COVID kind of put a, a pause on events like this. And it was good to get back out there with people and network politically, talk to some people that you know, some people that you're just meeting for the first time. And, you know, QCYD is a great organization that we've been accustomed to and we've known for 10 years now. In 2012, we attended a meeting together. I guess this will be a year post your Mikey D tour in Japan. Yeah, I remember that that meeting. That was our our first our first time going there. It was during the first campaign. And uh we were like, okay, we need to to get in the mix and see what's going on. And yeah, that was one of the first time the first time we went to QCYD. Right. And that was in Jamaica, Queens, right by the train station, right? It was like the JFK Center or something like that, they called that place. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. So it was actually a really good event this past week that I attended. And they were honoring some people who did some good things in the borough. So I want to shout out Aminta and uh, Danny Randell, everyone who was honored. But, you know, some good discussions were had privately. But someone asked me an interesting question that I wanted to touch on, which was, basic advice for running for office and um, just any insight that someone might have who's been through it as someone who's won a democratic primary and so forth. They wanted to kind of know what my experience was and what I tell someone who's looking to do it themselves. And I kind of said facetiously, you have to hate yourself. And the person reacted and said, well, I would think you'd have to love yourself. And yeah, I mean, I didn't mean it literally. I think you do have to love yourself in a sense. You have to have high self-esteem or at least, at least, not let things bother you. Have a thick skin, right? Be able to take, because you are signing up for criticism and really beyond that. I think it's sad to say, but you're kind of signing up for being lied about and just having mud thrown at you. And so that's why I said you have to hate yourself because who really wants that? But you need to have, I don't know if masochism is the right word, but a certain tolerance for that. It's a sacrifice. You have to be willing to sacrifice because that's not something a normal person goes to. I think a lot of people think of it like, all right, I'm going to run for office and do something good for my community, which is great. And that's what you should be thinking. But you're also right. are signing up for that ugliness that comes with politics these days. And that's not something that most people, I think, have the Constitution for. Right. Or, the, or that they, you know, necessarily expect until they, they get into, the, into it. And it's like, whoa, wait, what's, what's going on here? Um, right. Yeah. I think it's something you definitely need to be aware of that you know you're you're putting yourself out in the public and there are people who have different agendas people who want the spot that you're going for and they're willing to do whatever or say whatever to to get there yeah no absolutely um i think that you do have to give up a lot of what would be considered by most to be a normal life i mean i know everyone's definition of that is going to be different everyone's gonna have a different idea of that but it really is a sacrifice i mean just giving yourself to the public means you don't have the private life that i think most people enjoy now maybe some people don't care about having privacy but i think most people do and i think you know even someone like myself who comes from kind of that public background i mean i was in hip-hop so i was used to putting myself out there and not really being a private person trying to make myself a public figure at that time i was used to being in the public eye or trying to present myself as a public person uh even for someone like me who was in that spot i think it, it was a bit of a shock to the system not saying it was something i couldn't handle but it was beyond what i think most people would expect until you're actually in that position 
it's not something you can prepare for. I think just by reading about it or by talking to other people until you experience it, it's not something you're going to be used to. Right. Right. Cause then when you're out there like that, everyone has an opinion about you and anything that you say and, you know, and it can be taken the wrong way. It could be misrepresented, um, you know, all of that. And, and normally when someone takes something the wrong way about us or says something about us, you know, we have a certain type of reaction, a certain type of, it, it affects us in a certain way. But when you're in that mix and that's constant, you know, you have to have to realize that and deal with that. Or even this, having to care what people think, because if you're a purely private person, you can say, well, if someone doesn't like me, I don't care. I don't have to associate with them in any way. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect me in any way. I'll just mind my own business. Who cares what people think about me? But right. if you're, in politics and you're trying to get elected, you do have to care to a certain degree. Now you shouldn't let it affect you and, and cripple you emotionally or mentally or physically, right? But you have to care how people perceive you and what you say matters more in, in that, you know, in that sense, in the sense of how it's gonna be received, how it's gonna be interpreted by other people. That matters in this arena. And that's not something that's normal, I don't, I don't think, in normal day-to-day -day life that people deal with. Right. Because, you know, you, you are stepping into asking for that to, to be like, you know, I'm here to represent and I'm taking on this responsibility. And so part of the way that they see you is, you know, part of what you're presenting, what are you putting out? Um, and you do have to kind of pay attention. Of course, there are going to be some people who just are just straight up like, you know, haters, so to speak. And they're straight up, you know, uh, opposing anything you do just because of whatever party you are in or whatever issue you're talking about or whatever but in general you, you you're stepping up to say i'm gonna i want to represent everybody and that includes you as well and so you have to take some some of that in right and think about that just the idea of someone like you said hating on you or just being negative towards you constantly their whole mission politically, or maybe even they get obsessed with it. And I've got a story about that, how people get so obsessed with politics we can get into. But people make it their mission to take you down. And then you have to be gracious and say, well, I'm representing you as well. And so I'm also looking out for your best interests, even though your best interests are directly adverse to mine in many ways. Right. The nature of the beast. And that's just different. It's, you know, I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing necessarily. It's just the way the system is. But it's very different from normal life and most people go through. If you're putting yourself in this position, be prepared for something just totally different that's probably going to shock you. And again, I think a lot of people understand this intellectually, but until you're right. there, you don't, you're not really prepared for it emotionally or just the practicality of what it entails until you do it. And that's why I said kind of facetiously you have to hate yourself. Just meaning you've got to sign up for a lot of nasty stuff that most people would never have to go through but it's a sacrifice you're doing it not for your own benefit you're doing it because you think that you're part of something greater than yourself that you'll take the hit for something bigger if you can help the community if you can help the people then it's not about you and that's a great thing to be about something better than yourself and people can feel good and find fulfillment in that which is awesome but again there there is a sacrifice i think to get to that point and that I think that was to me one of the one of the uh, enjoyable parts uh, about the you know campaigning was when we got to 
to speak to people directly and and have those discussions and you know hear about their concerns and and you know have those things when we did the meet and greets and we did the uh, when we were going door to door talking to people remember the the elderly couple that like invited us in and was like you know oh yeah i remember that yeah that actually happens so, like, frequently when you're campaigning knocking on doors and that's also something that's not normal i mean knocking on doors isn't nearly as bad as calling up and asking people for money all day long because if you're a normal person you don't want to do that people have pride and you know uh, most people in society are are taught from a young age not to do that right to work hard and to not rely on others for money but when you're in politics that comes with the territory you have to ask people for money for your campaign and a lot of people don't realize how much money goes into running these campaigns and there's a movement to get money out of politics which i think is very valid but the system we have now does require raising a lot of money and so that's a very awkward thing for most normal people i think being on a phone eight hours a day essentially begging for money who wants to do that but right. i'm digressing anyway the point about getting divided into people's homes yeah that's something that's actually a, a very positive thing that you experience when you go knocking on doors talking to people about their issues and really making friends with all your neighbors i mean that's really a great thing to do yeah yeah so yes i mean there there's a lot of information for someone trying to run for office um you know, so there's a lot of good and there's some, some uncomfortable that goes with it as well. To say the least, um, from a practical standpoint, because I did mention this at the event, aside from the philosophical stuff about self-sacrifice and hating yourself and having thick skin and all that kind of stuff, just purely practical stuff. Having money, having resources to do it because you raise money to run a campaign, but in New York, and, and different laws have different, different states have different laws on this. In New York, you cannot use campaign money as living expenses. There was a law that was passed that, that allowed campaign money to go towards uh, childcare because that was a point of contention. So there are areas now where they're trying to make uh, accommodations for this. But generally speaking, you cannot live off your campaign expenses. And so you have to be able to support yourself while you're running for office. And running for office really is a full-time job. In fact, if you can do it well, it's two or three full-time jobs, maybe four full-time jobs. I mean, you're not sleeping. You always have campaign responsibilities constantly. So how are you going to support yourself in this? Which unfortunately is why you see wealthy people in positions of power in this country, because they're the ones who have the means to do it while everyone else has to work. I mean, we talked about last week, people are working two or three jobs now to take care of themselves. Where is someone going to find the time now to have two or three or the equivalent of two, three or four full-time jobs while they run a campaign? So you have to be able to support yourself, however that means. I mean, oftentimes, for me at least, it's meant raising money, like saving up money so I was able to support myself while I campaigned. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it can be very expensive. So. Right. No, absolutely. And I would say prohibitively so. And that's why you often see... Not only wealthy people get elected, but the system then skewed towards wealthy people's interests and not the working right. people, because exactly. it's very difficult for working class people to get elected and to even be at that table, even have a seat at that table. And forget getting elected, even before you get to that point, showing up at the meetings. I mean, we have things in New York City like participatory budgeting, where the people can vote on how their taxpayer money is spent in their area, which is great. But even to go to a meeting like that or a community board meeting, you have to have the means to do so. I mean, if you're working days and nights trying to put food on the table for your family, how are you going to have the time to do that? How are you going to be able to organize your community politically to get change affected? 
Unfortunately, it's people with disposable income and with the resources at their disposable, at their disposal, who can do this because they're just practically able to. And that's, I think, a big fundamental problem with our system. And people that have a little bit more of time freedom where they can reorganize things to suit how, you know, whatever it is that they're trying to do. Time is money. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why when we talk about things like inadequate transportation in South Queens, the Rockaways, Howard Beach, Ozone Park, sometimes people don't understand why that's such a critical issue. Like, oh, who cares? You spend a few extra minutes to an hour getting to work. Time is money. People who are commuting quickly from their job to their homes might have more time to go to those meetings and to organize and to do all those other things, maybe even run for office. People who are spending extra time, I mean, it, it adds up. Every day adds up. You, you add on every day, every week, every year. It's taking time out of people's days, which in turn takes money out of their pockets directly and indirectly. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah, so there's definitely a lot to 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 think about when going in. Um, but you know, again, there's you know that positive effect on the community and, and that effort, that interest. I think is a is a good thing. Right, it is a good thing, and and you know, I, I really do think that you have to have. Some people say an ego, whatever it is, but you have to be willing to sacrifice for the greater good. Especially if your heart's going to be in the right place, I think that's the way to approach it. Go into it right. knowing that it's going to be hard on you. It's going to be hard on your family. You, you're probably not going to make as much money as you thought. I mean, like for me, for example, I could spend all my time in private practice as a lawyer and make a lot more money than if I'm just focused on saving up enough money for the next campaign and then spend, spend, basically spending all my savings while I run for office. I mean, that's a sacrifice. That's a real sure. tangible sacrifice I'm making, but I'm doing it because I believe in it. And I think it's something bigger than me that I want to be a part of. And I think I can contribute in that way. So if that's your mentality, that's great. But, you know, just understand that you are making that sacrifice. And, and I think that's a good point. Like you have to, you know, um, have that belief in that, that, you know, this is something that's greater than you. Um, and, you know, you're going to, like I said, sacrifice to, to, to be a part of it or to contribute or to do something that you, you think that you can do. Um, and so you have to know that when you're going in. Right, right. It's not easy. You know, it's very difficult. Um, maybe it shouldn't be easy, but I do think that there are reforms that should be looked at to make it more accessible yeah. to most people. I think right now the problem is that the system is just generally inaccessible to most. And that's not even only speaking of running for office. It's just talking about being engaged in the political process in a meaningful way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it shouldn't. It should be accessible. To a wide variety of people not necessarily like super easy but it should be accessible it shouldn't be as you said where only you know the rich or the privileged or whoever uh have access to it you know because if we're talking about a representative government then everyone should be able to get um to you know, access running for office as well right that's how the system was designed at least on paper in theory it's supposed to yeah. be for the people by the people it doesn't always work that way as we know but that's what we strive for in this country and New York City, for example, and other places do things like matching funds, which is supposed to make the system more accessible, where they'll match every dollar that you raise. And it's eight to one now in New York City, which is very robust, but there are still flaws that come with it. And again, room for reform, certainly. Right. Yeah. Hey. Maybe uh, we'll see someone um, 
a mass of super massive social media following in their area and then just run a campaign with no money. People try that and it doesn't work. And there are reasons <laughs> for that. I mean, we can start getting into the political science, you know, right. That works more at the national level, believe it or not, at higher levels when more people are engaged and paying attention and, you know, start looking at like debates and the news 24 seven covering everyone's social media feeds and everyone, you know, millions of people are retweeting things. It's, it's much more different when you're talking about localized politics and politics is local and most change happens at the local level. Most people who are voting aren't engaged with, with, you know, let's say a city council candidate social media in that way. Maybe they're following the presidential candidates, but they're not following your local city. And, and honestly, most of the voters who are voting in these hyperlocal primaries are of a certain demographic who aren't really on social media, or at least not Twitter, not, not on a lot of these platforms. They tend to skew older. You know, presidential right. politics, talking about large scale elections, you have more people voting. Younger people get, get more involved and just, it's just a higher uh, percentage of the population is involved. When you start talking about very local elections, it's it's a very niche audience. It's a very yeah, niche demographic. Yeah. And it's not, you know, it's not your people who are just reading tweets all day. It's really not that. It's more, they tend to be elderly, church going, or, you know, religious type folks. Yeah. So. Well, I think, in, you know, if anyone's interested in doing so, it's, I think it's a, a worthwhile uh, endeavor to do, you know, if you're interested in trying to run for office or working on campaigns. Yeah. Yeah. If your heart is in the right place, I think. Yeah, absolutely. People should yeah, strive to do. Yeah. Don't get on there wanting to be crazy and, and well, run the world. <laughs> speaking of crazy or, or maybe not, uh, there was a report that came out that in New York, there is a proposal to have devices pre-installed on cars that would use the car's GPS system to figure out what the speed limit was, where the car was, and then automatically prevent the car from going too fast as, as compared to the speed limit in that area. So you would be physically prevented from speeding, essentially. Now, there is some talk, some lawmakers and policymakers are saying that New York State has the authority to do so. Of course, I'm sure this will be challenged by the courts, but just what do we think? Do we think that this is a good idea? Obviously, there's been a move to lower speed limits and to even discourage people from driving because there's a lot of people citing fatalities caused by vehicles and so forth. We talked about speed cameras on here. We had a very lengthy discussion. A lot of people weighed in on what the thoughts were about 24-7 speed cameras. I've got to be honest, not very popular in this part of town. So to me, this seems like another flavor of that, moving in that same direction. I would say making it prohibitively difficult for a driver to get around. And in an area, like I said, in this part of Queens, until public transit is benefited and improved to the point where we're not reliant on vehicles, you're really just hurting us here. Yeah, I, I think I, I don't like that idea. I mean, imagine you're, just, you're driving around and you're, you're in a, a you know a 30 mile an hour zone and then you you shift into like you know a 25 mile and then all of a sudden your speed just drops because you can't go any faster and then you gotta wait till you get out of that it just i i understand this idea of trying to curb speeding but i think that's very restrictive i think that's very intrusive um you know there there are some circumstances where you might need to like um rushing your wife to the hospital, you know, um, who's about to give birth. 
you know, um, she might not be able to take the 25 mile an hour the whole way there. And, and sure, you're speeding. I, I understand that, but I, I don't I don't like that. I don't like it. Right. Emergency situations. I mean, what if, God forbid, you're being chased by someone trying to kill you? Or something? Who knows? Right. I mean, there could be situations where you have to get away. And in fact, the law allows for that. The law allows for emergency. When you talk about a speed limit, that's under normal circumstances. But sometimes there are emergency circumstances that require you to go faster to that speed. Under this, there would be no accounting for that. So really, you can make an argument that this device would be against the law in a sense, or, or would prevent you from even accessing the law as it currently stands. Right. It just, to me, it's, it's another effort to try to, I don't know, one, I think to, to sanitize life. Um, not everything is going to be perfect to the letter of whatever rule or law it is. It's just not, life is not like that. Um, and this takes away people's, you know, autonomy to, to a degree. Um, and it's, it's like they're overlooming, just watching over you. It's, it's some 1984 type stuff. It's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of crazy to me. I don't think it's a, a good thing. Now, what are, what are the proponents of the law? Like, what, what is the benefit that they're saying that, that this will provide? They're saying it would curb people speeding and killing people speeding. It would reduce fatalities. But I mean, if you're hit at 25 miles an hour versus 40 miles an hour, you're still really messed up. Right, but that was what the whole Vision Zero thing was, right? They claimed that if you get hit at 25 miles an hour, you're much more likely to survive than if you got hit at 35 or 40 miles an hour. They, they seem to right. show or believe through whatever data that they had that that was some kind of turning point or tipping point where you know, 25 right. seemed like, you, you don't want to say safe, but if you got hit at 25, it was, wasn't nearly as fatal as just a little bit above 25. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't, you know, I think what would, would be a better alternative is, is that, you know, people have to be a little bit more vigilant. You know, we, we get to, for the, for the driver's side, you know, when we first start learning how to drive, we first get that learner's permit, we first get that, that license, um, everything is like 10 and two and being very careful and cautious, you know, fast forward six months later, you know, you're, you're driving with your knee, you got a burrito in one hand and you're, you're changing the radio. We forget what sort of responsibility and we get so comfortable with it that, you know, we just become acclimated to it. And then on the pedestrian side, you know, I think some people forget to look both ways crossing the street that we learn as a kid and, and, right. you know, you know, we do, we can't, we can't depend on law and lawmakers to buffer everything in life for us. Right. And I was going to make that point as well about pedestrians looking both ways. Someone said to me that they were in favor of the 24 camera, 24 seven speed cameras because people would be crossing the street and cars would be speeding down the street and hitting them. And as terrible as that is, I wanted to ask the question. In fact, I did ask the question. Well, why aren't they looking before crossing the street? I mean, not saying that they're in the wrong, that they're on the wrong for being hit. No, obviously people shouldn't be speeding and hitting people crossing the street. But is the answer always stop people from driving? What about teaching people to be more careful when they cross as well? Right. 
Absolutely. And of course, there's there, you know, on the flip side, there is the question of children who you, you know, can't really expect that they're going to be able to uh, look out for themselves in that way. And so we do as adults, as a society have to take should take precautions to look out for them. Um, but I, I don't think this is the best way to do something like that. Um, and oh uh, yeah, in the comment, um, Nixon mentioned about people staring at their phones while they're driving, which is which is a big issue. Um, again, we you know I think um, this is more of a society. It's not something that should be legislated out though. Yeah, Lixa also said it feels too much like Big Brother, and it does. And honestly, it's just a movement to punish drivers or to discourage people from driving in New York. And some people might say that sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it's really not. I mean, I talked about how even candidates running for office, talking about running for office, there were candidates who talked about we're in a transition era from the era of cars in New York. I mean, that was a talking point that was used in debates during New York City elections last year. You see right. people say, even, you know, Andre, I talked to, uh, we've had on here a few times, you know, he said that I'm too trusting of people to make good decisions behind the wheel. Like he thinks that basically we should take the cynical approach and say people can't be trusted to drive responsibly. So let's get them out their cars. I don't think that's the right move, especially not now. And I understand their environmental concerns. I understand all of that. But look at where we are currently in South Queens in particular, and in many parts of the city, but I'm using this as an example because it's where I'm from and I represent, we don't have that public transit infrastructure in place where we can just replace cars. And we talked about the effects on seniors. We talked about the effects on people who just can't get around the same way right now. That's not where we live, you know, and, and car culture is the big buzz term now. And people want to say, you know, we want to move away from car culture. How about a culture where our public transit system is taken care of and built up and really not behind the rest of the country and the rest of the world here in New York? Let's get to a place where we don't need cars as much, and then we can start having that conversation. But right now, all you're doing is punishing people. Right. And that's, you know, that and, and that's what I, I think we mentioned before, too. Like, yeah, like if you get the, the infrastructure in place and that allow people to be able to utilize bikes or walking or whatnot comfortably and easily, then you'll have more people that might opt for those things as well. But just to take away the car cars with no alternative uh, really isn't a solution. It just, it's a right. great, great And think about problem. just a neighborhood now. So people say, all right, you could take buses or trains. What if you want to get to your local neighborhood supermarket? And you're a senior citizen, let's say you can't walk. It's too far for you to walk. And again, we're talking a place like Queens where it's more spread out in many areas, not like Manhattan, where there's a store in every corner and all that kind of stuff. What if it's a half a mile or more to your store or your, you know, your drugstore, your pharmacy, your hair covers, anywhere you have to go? How are you going to get there on public transit the way the system currently is? Right, right. So it needs to, you know, and, and a lot, a lot of, design in, in the US as far as cities and communities, it was based around car travel. So, you know, it's a lot of places required. Like, you know, you don't have, you know, you have whole, especially suburbs, you have whole suburbs where you've got to drive to get to the grocery store, you know, or to get to the post office or whatever. There's nothing within walking distance for it because it's, you know, it's expected that you're going to have, you know, cars and whatnot. Right, well, most of the country is very spread out. In fact, even most of New York state 
is spread out that way. New York City is a little bit different. And in New York City, you have the clash of people who are from Manhattan, who have that more Manhattan-centric mentality. And it isn't only Manhattan, but it certainly is prevalent in Manhattan in areas where it's more built up and dense, right? And then you have areas like in Queens and Staten Island and other places where that's not the case. Um, you can't have that one size fits all approach even within New York City. So you can right. say most places in New York City don't require cars. Maybe that's true. It's not true of every place in New York City. And we have to be very mindful of that. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of this, um, of this proposal. It doesn't, you know, I understand what they want to do. They want to lessen, you know, like I said, lessen traffic fatalities and accidents and lower speeds can help. But, you know, I think there are other ways to do it. It needs to be, you know, some more driver education and vigilance, public education and vigilance, you know, and just understand that, you know, we've got to we've got to look out for ourselves and for what we're doing while we're out there. Right. And I think we need to be thinking of all of these issues in terms of, all right, how can we make things better for everyone? How can we incentivize people to behave in a better way or a way that's more sustainable for our planet without punishing them? I think we're so quick to punish or to you know, have these punitive measures or these measures that are gonna hurt people or take things away from people or make things more difficult. I don't think that needs to be our philosophy on this. I think it needs to be more, how, how do we incentivize better behavior versus banning behavior we don't like. So if you had a better public transit system, for example, fewer people would be driving, but then you would still be able to have some people drive who need to, but you wouldn't be as reliant as a culture or as a city or whatever on cars because the system would be working better at that point. And I think that's what we need to be looking at. How can we make the system work better for everyone instead of saying right. All right, we don't you know we think there are too many people driving the solution is let's just make it impossible for them to drive no because now you're just punishing them and you're not giving them any alternatives and you're just you're not making things better you're actually making the system worse right and this idea that the government can just go in and turn off your your you know your speed on your restrict the speed on your private vehicle is very uncomfortable um you know uh, i mentioned 1984 uh, like I mentioned, uh, Big Brother. I mean, it's it's very uncomfortable. And, and what other things would they think? Oh, well, we did it with this. So how about we do it with this? And it's like, mm -hmm. right? Where does it lead? And I made that point in the paper. Oh, sorry, I just got a text message from our uh, guest. I'll follow up on that in a second. So no, I made the point in the paper that. Basically, if we're trying to move in a more progressive direction as a society, everyone talks about progressive change, going back to 1984 and Big Brother seems regressive. I think we're moving backwards by doing that. Right, yeah. Um, you know, especially when you, you, you're talking about, you know, just kind of people's freedoms uh, and their personal choices. And these are, you know, again, personal, personal vehicles, personal devices, personal items. Yeah, I think it's an overreach to to say that we are going to be able to just go right in and restrict it whenever we we want to. So. No, I agree. I agree. Well, what's what's with the guests? Are, are they uh, jumping in? Yeah, I'm trying to work this out here. They said they forgot 
that they were on for today and they're on the community board Zoom. So I'm not sure if they're going to hop on, but we'll be on here for a little bit longer. If the guest wants right. to come on and join us before you wrap up. So let's get into the poll from last week. You had some uh, some results on that. Yeah, so mine was pretty one-sided, actually. It was 89% to 11% in favor of only asking aspiring lawyers in New York to disclose criminal convictions as adults, as opposed to now, where they ask for all arrests and even juvenile offenses that might have been committed. Mm. So people are saying, move away from asking about everything and only ask about the adult convictions, which I think makes sense. But I got to say this, when... And then convictions is a key to me, um, and not just arrests, period, but convictions right. where they're found guilty of something. I think that's, that's more of a key. Yeah. And when I was applying to be a lawyer myself, first of all, before you even take the bar and do the character and fitness to get your license, when you apply for law school, they ask you these questions as well. And it's not just, by the way arrests they ask about any disciplinary uh, items on your record at school you know, were you ever suspended were you ever expelled did you have any kind of discipline at school and then when i remember when you apply for the bar they ask you about any lawsuits were you ever sued or were you ever involved in any kind of litigation at all so they're really asking about everything and in some places in fact i saw i was kind of doing a little bit of a survey on this uh, for example virginia stopped asking about mental health status a few years ago, but that used to be a question that they asked too. So they really try to ask about everything to try to figure out the kind of person you are, what kind of trouble you've ever been in, uh, you know, everything about you, your background. And maybe it is too intrusive, I don't know, but they are trying to figure out who you're gonna be because you're gonna be a lawyer, you're gonna be an officer of the court. And right. a lot of it is about consistency too. They wanna make sure that you're not lying to them. So that's why they right. say it's better to disclose it and explain it. And I. Google this and I kind of, you know, see what people are talking about. And some people say that, oh, you know, when I was a kid, I shot a BB gun at a gas station door and I got some, you know, something on my record as, you know, some juvenile offense or whatever. Uh, do I really need to uh, disclose that? And is that going to prevent me from being a lawyer? You know, and the advice or the, the response generally is disclose everything. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be a lawyer because you have something like that in your past. But it's bad if they uncover it later and then it turns out you weren't being honest about it. So mm -hmm. that becomes an issue that if they find something in your background that you didn't disclose, then why weren't you forthcoming about it? But for the most part, these issues in your past, if they're relatively minor in the grand scheme of things, and if they're a long time ago, aren't going to preclude you from being a lawyer. But like we said, a lot of people just don't apply because they're afraid that they won't get through or they're just embarrassed that it's on their record they don't want to disclose that for whatever reason right right be honest was that bb gun question yours was that what that was that gun question no <laughs> no i actually had really nothing thank god like that in my background i had a pretty easy time of it. um yeah and and actually this did kind of well on on uh youtube it's almost a the polls that almost a thousand views on um, YouTube for this poll. And we got about two to one um, thumbs up on, on the poll on whether they should continue to ask. So 
there was one there was a response that said yes they should continue to ask um and with the two to one thumbs up i would take that to mean that they should continue you never know uh, they could just never know liking the poll question itself like in the poll question you know right you never, you they never actually know. voted in terms of one option or the other right but uh we did get comments that said yes uh they should continue um they so, should continue or they should change it continue yeah continue the way it is yeah do you think it, they should continue to ask inspire that was the question and the answer was yes just a simple yes no explanation or anything just yes okay well yeah i was looking at some other states like i said and it is common that they ask some variation of this but the language does vary from state to state in Massachusetts, and please don't take this as legal advice. Like if you're gonna take the bar Massachusetts, do your research before, don't rely on this. I just took a quick glance at these applications and it seemed like they were using language like uh, felony charges in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. whereas in New York, it was like any arrest. So those are different things. And people have questions about, yeah. does it cover what does it, do I have to disclose this? Or don't I have to disclose it? But you know, being charged with the felony is very different from being arrested. And then in some places they even, I think it might've been New Jersey, if I'm not mistaken, they said, if it's a, class c misdemeanor for a traffic violation specifically you don't have to disclose it so i guess that might have been like a speeding ticket or something of that some you know maybe reckless driving to a certain degree i don't know but they have these different uh, applications with different wordings and and it just depends on how it's worded but different states will ask the questions a little bit differently in general they do ask a pretty broad question right they ask a, they, they basically try to uncover all this dirt that might be in your past right yeah, well, it, to me, it still says that the thing is still, uh, you know, if it's not required in other states, then it seems that it wouldn't be necessary to be asked. But other states do ask. I mean, I even looked at Vermont. I was trying to do a sampling of, okay, let's take some very liberal states, let's take some more conservative states. I looked at Texas. Mm. For the most part, they ask these questions. I just word them a little bit differently. And some have, like I said, I think Massachusetts. If I'm not mistaken, Massachusetts was about felony charges. So it doesn't have to be a conviction, but if you were indicted, if you're brought up on charges on a felony, now even that might be too extreme or too far for some, because there's this idea that we're innocent until proven guilty. And so why should we have to disclose a charge if we were not convicted of it? Why should that be seen as a strike against us? But Again, it doesn't mean you can't be a lawyer. So what you're supposed to do is disclose it and then explain it. And they don't recommend that you write pages on it, but just explain what happened. If, if it was a false accusation, say that, you know? Right, 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 yeah. So in the chat, we got a question saying, who's handling all that information? Well, it's the, the bar. Each state has its own board that does this, character and fitness, and they it's a committee they process the applications, they do background checks, they get all your data, all your information, then they interview you and they make recommendations as to whether you should be admitted to the bar or not. I wonder if they're keeping a record. They have like a big database of every lawyer and all the convictions and things just sitting around somewhere. Well, no, they pull, they do a whole comprehensive background check. So when you apply to be a lawyer, they pull that information up. All right. Um, I was reading an article earlier where it said, all right, let's say you don't disclose something and you get away with it now. You become a lawyer. You're a lawyer for 15 years. Everything seems great. 
then all of a sudden you become a judge. And now there's a second round of background checks when you're becoming a judge. They can go back and look at your law school admissions process and your application to the bar, the character and fitness. And then at that point, realize that you didn't disclose something, you were dishonest on something. And that could disqualify you from being a judge even. Right, right. So, no. Yeah, it sounds like, uh, like you said, you know, or like they, they said, it's better in that instance to think, you know, disclose and then explain um right even you know, before getting to the question of whether they should ask in the first place if that's where it is right now disclose and explain is probably the best course of action while this is being decided over here whether or not they should be asking at all right but just like we said when you run for office right now it requires spending all your time raising money that's a system you have to be in if you want to win there's also a valid conversation about changing that system or striving to change the system. So right. the still is in New York. Um, other states have this going on too, but we focus on New York because we're in New York. So should we change the system in New York? Should we not ask people who are aspiring to be lawyers to disclose all of this information? I mean, even when it comes to, for example, civil lawsuits and you know, <laughs> it all ties together because when I was applying to be a lawyer, no one had ever sued me. I was never involved in a lawsuit. So I can easily say, no, never. Now, if I was applying to be a lawyer, yeah, because when you're in politics, you get sued all the time. So that would be something I would have to disclose now if I was applying to be a lawyer. Were you ever involved in lawsuits? Yes. You know? Yeah. Should that be a question that's asked on this outline character and fitness? Maybe. But then I think we have to have a discussion on what we're trying to get out of it in the first place, right? What are we seeking to accomplish by even having character or fitness here? Like what, what is the purpose of it? And in circumstance to come into play, like you said, like when you're in, uh, you know, politics, then, you know, you get sued all the time. So, you know, asking that question, you know, it's like, well, yeah, of course, like you can't just judge someone based on like if they've been sued without the context of it. Like, oh, well, they've been sued, so there's a mark against them or, or something. Like, well, no, this is kind of part of the arena in, in, in some way. So, of course, it's going to be on the record. So there has to be some context. And I'm sure, you know, they've been doing this for, you know, for decades. So they, they sift through the information and, and, and take that context, I would imagine. Sure. But then the question, again, is should people even have to be subjected to that line of questioning or, or right. to what extent should they be questioned? Right. I can, I guess I can understand civil lawsuits versus arrests, but I just got a message here uh, on the subject. What if someone had arrests in their youth that were related to gangs, the mob or cartels, and they become a lawyer for those gangs, the mob or cartels, they knowingly will become lawyers to help cover and do illegal activities for these organizations. But I think those situations are not so common. I mean, right. I can I can see that, but sure. again, if you were arrested but not charged, not convicted, right? Would you ever have to disclose that on any official application that you're submitting? Because, for example, when you're applying to a job, and this is why some people were saying it was already illegal in New York because we banned the box. So now, when you apply for a job, you don't have to disclose that kind of information anymore. So why should you when you have when you're applying to become a lawyer? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I see that point. And then I also see the other side, too, whereas I think a, a, a lawyer holds a, a different level of responsibility to, to you know, a cashier at, at you know, your local restaurant, um, 
because as a lawyer, you're you're taking on responsibility and 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 the faith and trust of clients. So there is a little bit of a higher responsibility there, in, in my opinion. I agree. I agree, and that's why it gets to be more of a gray area or a nuanced discussion, right? Right. Right. So. You know, um, it isn't only about background checks. I mean, they interview you and they're trying to discover whether you really would be a good lawyer. And so they'll say things like, you know, the person seemed to understand complex legal ideas. Now, a lot of this obviously is tested at the bar itself. But when they interview, they, they, they want to kind of get a sense of what kind of person you are. Are you able to handle that responsibility of being a lawyer? Are you able to handle all these high pressure situations and also deal with clients and be able to communicate effectively with the client on the situation? Are you, you know, you're not someone who's going to be a stain on the legal profession. So it isn't purely about, uh, do you have a clean criminal record, right? It's just about the kind of person you are in their judgment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're very calm. Yeah. Interesting uh, situation. And, and we also brought up issues before about how that, you know, can bar people from even being uh, applying or how it can be kind of uh, discriminatory in many ways. Yeah, um, I think absolutely. And I also think relating back to the big brother idea and kind of like the over intrusion. Some of this feels like it is a bridge too far, just in terms of asking you of too much information, asking you to give up too much of yourself. You know, I just got Verizon files hooked up and they, they did a background check. Uh, we had a conversation about, yeah, because I guess they want to see if you're going to be able to pay the cable bill. But to me, some of it just feels too much. We had a conversation several weeks ago about landlords sometimes asking for too much. And I understand the position of wanting to make sure that the person is, is a good person, who's gonna be able to pay their bills and, and on top of their responsibilities right. and all that. But right. I think there's also a danger of treating people like they're criminals or like they're bad people or like there's people to be suspicious of, cynical of. I don't think that has an overall positive effect on people's behavior and well-being. Right. And, and I think, yeah, when that's applied too broadly in too many different areas, I think that definitely becomes a problem. Um, in some areas where I think public trust and responsibility is in, there should be a little bit more scrutiny, I think. No, I agree. But just think of that, right? You apply for an apartment, background checks, credit checks, yeah. you know, we, we want tax returns, we want everything, letters of recommendation, all these different things, pay stubs, yeah. you know, all your bank records, everything. You yeah. drive now, we have a device that makes, you know, make sure you can't go over the speed limit. You try to get cable, background checks, you want to be a lawyer, were you ever arrested, Do you have anything in your past, were you ever sued, were you ever suspended from school? It's, you know, it just seems like there's this movement to treat everyone like they right. can't be trusted right yeah and what is that old adage when you start treating people like animals in cages you know you do that long enough they start to react that way right you know i Absolutely. think and and, and that also I mean, that discussion we had last week about job treating people like adults in the workplace right if you right. give them more responsibility and flexibility and independence they will behave accordingly. They'll behave like a team player, someone who's in it 
with the company and with everyone. We're all in this together, as opposed to being treated like someone who's inferior. So, right, it, this this is an error of treating people like you know the, the, the system or whoever is in charge of, of, of this is better than the subjects. And I think that's a real danger because then the subjects will act like subjects and not team players. Right, and, and, and not care anymore. Like, you know, if you're gonna treat me this way, then I have no stake in this. I have no equity in this. Why, why do I even care then? I'm looking for something else, something better. Right. Um, so. so I wanted to tell a story. Hold on a second. Okay, multitasking. The guest is rescheduling for next week. That's okay. Yeah. And I'm confirming this right now. All right. So 7 p.m. next week, we will be back with the guest, hopefully. But we have we right. are surprise guest. <laughs> right. We won't disclose, just in case. We won't disclose because our application does not require us to. I looked up over the wording. Jay, we're good on that one. All right. But Very good. I wanted to tell a story about how politics has become people's entire identity and actually my mom told me about this it was a friend of hers in florida who had i guess someone from new jersey moved down from new jersey to florida and they drove with a u-haul all their stuff from new jersey to florida and they moved into this development and i guess they accidentally knocked over a mailbox across some damage on the property and so the person coming from new jersey rang uh, the bell, I think it was, it was my mom's friend who lives in Florida, uh, it was her, maybe her mailbox got knocked down or whatever, rang the bell and, and introduced himself, this person coming from New Jersey, it's saying, hi, my name is such and such, I'm a Republican. That was his introduction to the person in Florida. Why? And, and my mom's friend said, hi, I'm such and such, I'm not. But I think the person assumed that everyone there was going to be Republican or maybe because he was coming from New Jersey that he was going to be written off as like some evil blue state Democrat. So he had to show that he was one of them and fit in, or maybe he just carries his political identity outwardly like that to everyone. I don't know. But to me, that was very striking that this person introduced himself as I'm my name. I'm a Republican. That was his intro. That was his greeting to a stranger. That's yeah, that's very that's very weird. That's very strange, and and that honestly raises a red flag about that person. It me. does, right? And and regardless of how they affiliate, just the fact that that's how they introduce themselves to right. Yeah, and and like, what do you say to that? You know, like uh, okay, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, no, my mom's friend. I'm not. That's what she said. I'm not. Yeah, but you know, I think we're just so polarized right now. It's just very telling, and you know, the guy came from New Jersey, and maybe he left New Jersey because he was a Republican. I mean, he, obviously, that's a very important part of his identity, right? It's the first thing he says about himself. So maybe he thought that the state was too blue of a state for him, and he's going to go to Florida, and people there would be more receptive to him. And maybe he, maybe he thought he wouldn't be accepted in this new community unless he said otherwise he'd be written off as a New Jersey guy. And we all know New Jersey's are they're all Democrats up there. I don't know, but crazy how polarized we are and how people have let politics become their whole identities. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's been a it's been a kind of a slow march to this. I think it it's um, really ramped up during the Trump presidency time um, when people had very, very stark lines that they were uh, marking because it was such 
so much craziness going on. There had to be these these defined lines. Um, but to to show up and say, hey, I'm you know my name is this. I'm a Republican. It's, it's very weird. I mean, it would be weird if it was a you know someone doing Democrat too. Like you know, hey. So right. What does it have to do with fixing someone's mailbox? Yeah. Did you hit my mailbox? That's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a Republican. I hit your mailbox. Like, uh, that really is not relevant. Like, uh, can you fix my right. mailbox? Unless, unless somehow he thought that that was disarming the situation. Like, the person would be mad, but him saying that kind of lets him into the club somehow. Oh, you're you're a Republican? Oh, it's okay. Don't worry about the mailbox. Right. Now, if right. we're these dirty Democrats, then we had a problem. Uh, you know, I, you're a Republican. I don't need a mailbox. It's okay. Right. Like he wouldn't be welcome in that part of Florida, in that community, because he's coming from New Jersey and they assume he's just you know, one of those dirty Democrats. Right. And honestly, you know, it, it just, you know, if you're not a prick, you know, you should be OK, um, whether you are that Republican or, an, or a Democrat or whatnot. Um, it depends. It's going to depend on how you carry yourself. And I mean, of course, some of the positions that you may take are going to be very polarizing and can be discriminatory or bigoted, bigoted one way or the other. Um, but how often are you going to sit there and, and have those discussions with your your neighbor, especially the first time meeting them? You know, that's something that that's going to come up later as you progress into your relationship, if there is one. Right. And that used to be something that rarely even came up in polite society, right? We would talk, we don't talk politics and religion. We talk weather, maybe that's boring, but right. that was something we were taught as kids, that that's a very polarizing, divisive topic that most people would stay away from. And, and, and I understand how it is. That's, you know, what's happening right now because of we've had, you know, very, very polarizing years and we've had, you know, um, I say, you know, Trump broke a lot of norms in, in regards to um, and social media in general, I think, you know, people started sharing articles all the time and commenting their thoughts. Right. The rise of being able of the niche, being able to reach greater audiences because, you know, social media, whether they were savvy, whether it went viral, whether someone's searching for this type of validation, you know. Um, so, you know, I understand how that all happens, but to go that far to be like, hey, you know, I guess that would be kind of similar if he wanted to make that statement just showing up and knocking on the door with a, a MAGA hat on, you know? Right. It actually reminded me of that Curb Your Enthusiasm scene from, I think the episode was called Happy New Year, the first episode of that particular season, either nine or 10, where uh, he had that MAGA hat that he wore because he didn't want to take a meeting with people, he didn't want to be, he didn't want to be around people. So he, he, he actually wore it to make people uh, disgusted of him and, and repulsed by him. But then he also wore it to get himself out of hostile situations. Like there was this biker guy who I think he cut off on the highway or something like that. And the guy was, was about to fight him. So he put the hat on thinking that, oh, a biker is more likely to be pro-Trump and uh, maybe that will diffuse the situation. And, and it worked on the show. So right, right. it does remind me of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a really weird situation. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta be, just be the best you. Um, and, you know, the politics, we're gonna have our beliefs and we're gonna have the things that we, you know, support, but 
to make the, the party your whole identity, especially if you're not a politician. I mean, that's it's very strange. It is, and I don't think it's necessarily a good thing. No. Yeah. Um, it's in the chat said it's been like this since Bush and since each president's gotten worse. Um, I would say Bush was probably the the a modern catalyst in that, but you go further, I think Reagan was also a big one because um, he was very polarizing. Um, the Bush point is interesting though because of 9-11 and we just right. had 9-11, but after 9-11, it seemed like more of that ugliness came to the forefront and it seemed almost socially acceptable in some ways to be hateful. Well, it was, and I've, I've said that many times over, 9-11 is, is what really was the seed for a lot of this divisiveness right now, because after 9-11, it became okay to hate someone because of where they're from and their background. It became okay to hate Muslims because we, they were seen as uh, entire population that attacked us. And so it became acceptable. And so the people who have been quiet all these decades while the rest of the country decided this sort of mentality and this sort of way of thinking is not acceptable, um, you know, that mean, doesn't mean the feelings go away. It's like now that it's out, it's like, oh, so I can let that out. Okay, so then it became an issue you know, now it's not just Muslims. Now we're we're back to talking about uh, talk back to talking about blacks. We're back to talking about uh, Mexicans and immigrants. And oh, here here's a black president. Oh my God! Now we can talk about this. Here's here are the gays. Okay, let's let's get on this. Oh my God! These 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 uh, people coming over the border. They want to be treated like humans. Okay, well let's. And so all of this was was you know. It started there, but once you open that Pandora's box, right? It, it was continued. like open season okay. on xenophobia, right? And and we had worked for decades to to make that 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 precedent that this is not okay to to think about in public or, or to be about in public. Of course, you can't legislate people's feelings, but you can make some things that are unacceptable in public. And this this bigotry and the xenophobia and stuff was not something. That was okay. So it didn't start with Trump. Trump was, you know, uh, he was riding that wave and just was doing it in a very grandiose manner. Yeah. So, but it, you know, hey, it, you know, Reagan has his uh, fair share. You know, anything beyond that, I don't, you know. Nixon. Yeah, Nixon. So. Reagan had a massive impact on the way everything changed. Um, and, and so the thing is, people tend to forget from president to president, you know, like when it was Bush, you know, there was, everyone was like, oh my God, Republicans get them out. And then it gets to, to, to Obama and they're like, oh my God, we need to bring back Republicans. And then it gets to Trump. Oh, it's like, we, they tend to forget. Right. You know, well, that's the why issue. the midterms usually favor the opposition party if you have one party right. in the White house the other party generally wins the midterms i mean you have some exceptions like after 9 11 and that kind of thing but that's usually how it goes it's very cyclical you know you right. won't usually have a president in power from the same party for too long it goes back and forth right and it's more it's it's i think that speaks to kind of the fickle nature of, of people and also 
the the want of of quicker resolutions you know, uh, you know what it is? Time. Yeah. that's all true it's also the yelp review factor right when you go to a restaurant and it's great you're less likely to leave a glowing yelp review than you would yeah. if you went to a restaurant and it was bad like people would just want to complain they're more motivated to complain about the bad stuff so if you have anyone who's in office doing good things the good things aren't going to be talked about as much as the bad things, the things people don't like. Sure. And so the opposition voices are always louder and stronger than people who support. Right, because the the assumption is and, and how it, you know, the idea, ideal is that, you know, things should be good. There shouldn't be anything, any issue. And so when it is good, it's like, you know, you don't feel that need to to leave a glowing review or talk it up because it's how it should be, you know, but when it is some kind of a bad experience, it's like, you know, it's straight away from that. Now it's time to complain about it. Right. And it's also human nature. I mean, I think myself, for example, if something really bad happens, something I perceive as bad happens, I feel a lower low than I feel a high when something good happens, if that makes sense. Like we, we almost, like you right. said, expect things to be going well so they say you know no news is good news you just kind of like living your life thinking oh this is fine everything's working the way it's supposed to work we i don't think we do enough to celebrate our successes or our highs in life right i think we we as humans focus too much on the negative things that happen to us but when something equally positive happens we don't feel it with that same force that we do feel the bad right yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, yeah. Interesting. Uh, Probably the Yelp review thing. But yeah, I mean, it's very true in that situation. Yeah. So we should put the poll question out for next week. Sure. We were asking about what the cars? Uh, yeah, I think the cars was a good poll to, to, to find out. Okay. So here we go. Our question for the week is... Do you believe that cars in New York State should have devices pre-installed to prevent drivers from speeding? Yeah. It's a very crazy thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And we are told next week we'll, we will have a guest. Uh, yes. We're scheduled for this week. I guess there was a mix-up, but we will... As far as we know, next week, this guest will be with us. If not, I'm sure we'll have someone else joining us. But right. looking forward to that conversation. And do you get the bottom line two weeks in a row, Jay? I think we'll give the bottom line to you this time. Oh, wow. Okay. How about this? T trying to tie all of these things together. The bottom line is let's put more trust in ourselves. Let's not be so quick to punish people and to rush to the negative and to treat people and situations cynically, but let's incentivize good behavior and celebrate the behavior and not focus so much on the negatives. I think that's a, a pretty good bottom line right there. All right. That kind of ties all the themes together. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a, that's a good thing for, for everything. All right. Well, well, I want to shout out before we wrap up. I want to shout out Jeremy Bucaria on here, who actually rolled with me to the QCYD event 
from Howard Beach. And I know he's joined us a few times on Nuance. That's what's up. Man, thank and you to Vladimir for tuning in. I see Vladimir in the chat. James. James, Lexa. obviously, always joining us. Lexa. Yeah, thank you to everyone for tuning in every week. Yeah. And you can uh, follow us on YouTube. Um, look up Nuance with Mike Scala and Jay Carter on YouTube. And if you do podcasts, they're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, wherever you do your podcasts. Um, so go on there, subscribe. And if, you, if you've got something that you'd like to say to, to continue the conversation, you can leave it in the comments on the YouTube uh, channel. Um, so for example, I see uh, someone here is, in answer to the poll question uh, says partly. So if you want a, uh, to flesh out your idea there, you can leave it in the chat here or go on YouTube and post it there to get that conversation going so that um, these conversations can be had. All right. Well, thank you all. We will catch you next week.